You're listening to Making Waves, a podcast by Wiser. Hello and welcome to Making Waves with Wiser. I'm your host, Izzy Bishop, and this is the careers advice podcast like no other, where each week I sit down with a female leader in the tech space to talk about the waves they've made in their career and the waves that set them back along the way. Each guest will be asked to name me their three most impactful moments in their career so far, and to give advice to others wanting to be successful in this industry. At Wiser, we are passionate about changing the way people think about work. We're binning the Monday blues and the post-holiday dread, and focusing instead on what makes work great. The tech industry has boomed in the past decade, now employing 2.9 million people in the UK alone. But we're still seeing a lack of women in these roles. PwC states that only 5% of leadership positions in the sector are held by women. I want to know why this is and figure out how we can help more women make waves in this industry. On today's episode, I am lucky enough to welcome the incredible Louisa Gregory, who has been in the tech and telecommunications industry for nearly 27 years. Unsure on what to do with her career, Louisa started working in a call centre, quickly being promoted to a leadership role managing a team of 25. Eight years later, she worked her way up the ladder and around the globe with PacNet, starting as a customer service manager to eventually being chief of staff. And her career didn't stop there. Working at Cult as chief of staff, not only was she responsible for driving the development and execution of strategy across the business, but also led the company's inclusion and diversity strategy. Fast forward to present day, Louisa is now the CEO of the new startup company, CBAN. And in her own words, Gregory said, I am delighted to lead CBAN into the next stage of its evolution, as we seek to achieve value creation in the area of interoperable settlement. It's incredibly humbling to see that someone so senior loves to help and inspire others to take their next step, and sees her own personal purpose as inspired to action. Louisa Gregory, welcome on Making Waves. Thank you, Izzy. I'm so delighted to be here. It is so lovely to have you here and actually in the flesh. In the flesh, (laughs) I know. Obviously with COVID, we originally recorded this. We are social distance. We are. We're sat far (laughs) away from each other, but we originally recorded this virtually and technology wasn't on our side, basically. No, Which is funny, because you work in tech, so. Uh, Yes, I know, you didn't need to highlight that, but yes, that is true. Well, I'm glad we've got you here in the studio, able to speak to you face-to-face and actually meet you. But as I said in that introduction, your personal purpose is Inspire to Action. I would love to hear what that means to you and why that's your personal purpose. Mm. It's something that's probably evolved over time. And about a year ago, uh, when I was sort of thinking about, you know, what next in terms of, of career and, you know, I've been really lucky to do some fantastic things in, in you know, different countries and for working for great leaders. Um, but it was really about, well, what's next? And um, part of the process that I went through was really defining who I am and what what values are really important to me and, you know, mapping out how I got to where I am and what experiences have shaped have shaped me, um, and it was really that that work that that led to this thinking about you know all the, a lot of the things that I've done are uh, not so much for me but about proving that they can be achieved, and therefore if. Um, they inspire others, then that's a that's a, a benefit. And you know, for me, it's not about knowing that I've inspired somebody, but my goal is really to to demonstrate and to showcase some of the things that I have done, um, and hopefully to inspire others to believe in themselves and and take that first step. 
That's so incredible because that's literally why I created this podcast. I want to have women on this podcast as a platform to hear their stories and inspire other people wanting to do the same. And do you think that this is a thing that we need to see more in this industry? We need to see more people inspiring the younger generation? Absolutely. I, and you mentioned inclusion and diversity as is one of the the roles that I've had and, and led on. And yes, absolutely. We, we hear this common um, phrase of you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. And, you know, people are asking for role models. You know, the people want to, if I'm a black woman, I want to see black women who are really, really successful to, to know that it's possible for me to, to achieve that. So yes, I, I think that we need to really showcase um, all sorts of different people and show what's possible for everyone. I want to take you to the beginning of the introduction where I said at the beginning of your career you fell into working at a call centre and not thinking that you'd find it interesting. Did you ever think that you'd end up where you are now, the CEO of a huge tech <laughs> telecommunications company? Not at all. And it, it wasn't even my ambition at any point to be a CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if I'm, if I'm being really honest, in these podcast walls, I, you know, I sometimes still have to pinch myself and um, you know when I'm writing the title down is that really is it's that you really, really, is that really me? have you got a name plaque in your office in like, my home office yeah. no on your bedroom wall you're like yeah. I am the CEO that's right so no it wasn't ever in my um, in my my goal plan to, to do that and I, I don't think I ever really had a um, had a, a purpose that I wanted to, you know, a goal, a, a career goal that I wanted to to achieve. I think it was always an, this inspire to action purpose is kind of really what it, it's always been there. It's just been unnamed for me. Um, but always the career choices that I've made are always about, um, you know, seeing if I can make a difference somewhere. Now, the call centre role probably was, you know, I was quite young at the time. I'd just finished university. Yeah. I, I really just needed a job. You know, <laughs> it was You probably made a difference. There was a big financial driver <laughs> to that one. But, you know, it, 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 I ended up in an industry that I've really enjoyed and I've prospered in and thrived in. And um, so, you know, some things do happen for a reason. Definitely. And what did you learn whilst working at that call centre? Because I'm sure, as you said, like you went in just needing money and you probably didn't see it as a career path for you. But were there any moments whilst working there that you thought, I'm going to really take this throughout my career and it kind of shaped who you are today? Yeah, there there was. And, you know, whilst I didn't sort of connect the dots back then, mm-hmm. looking back, um, it was people who saw something in me and, you know, helped me to, to gain other roles. And, you know, I, I only did that call centre role for oh, about 18 months or two years before I was promoted into a team leader role and I was running um, a team of, of 12 representatives um, and then that expanded and I became what they called a group team leader, which was overseeing um, several teams within the within the call centre. Um, I was uh, one of the first cohort to do the organisation's leadership and development program, mm-hmm. um, which it was a startup company, it's a much larger startup company, but it was the first program they they'd done. So, so people who had who who, who saw something in me mm-hmm. and pushed me outside of my comfort zone, and you know, I ended up in these fantastic leadership roles and development programs that have have gone on to lead me to to where I am today so um, yeah it's been about the the people I think as well that's so lovely did you not see that in yourself like obviously you said that it was the people seeing something in you and they believed that you could do it and they promoted you were you always quite confident when you started out in your career 
No, 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 not confident at all. Um, and for, for lots of reasons. Um, I grew up in a country town in Australia. So, um, you know, I think when you come to a city, you, you get, you know, when you grow up in this small town where you literally know most people, yeah. um, it can be quite intimidating to suddenly be in the midst of, you know, a big university and it's a whole all big these... fish in a small pond. And, and you know, I was the only person from my school who got into a big city and a big city university. Really? So I, I knew nobody. You absolutely nobody. Um, so that can be quite intimidating um, yeah. then. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I have a, may or may not be able to see it, and obviously the audience can't, but I have quite a visible scar on my face that I was quite bullied about at school. So, you know, that kind of lowered my my confidence and my self-esteem a little bit. And, you know, so therefore I used to, I used to shrink back a little bit and, and not put myself forward yeah. um, as, as much. Well, I can't see that scar. You look beautiful, <laughs> oh, sat right you. in front of me. <laughs> so I don't know why you were bullied. And I'm sure those bullies aren't the CEO of a huge company right now. So <laughs> where was the confidence found though in your career? Was there a moment where you thought, okay, I'm believing in myself now, I can do this. I've, I've worked hard and, and I'm, I've earned my spot here. Um, it's funny because I'm not sure that I'll ever truly believe I've earned my spot here. I think mm -hmm. as a woman in tech in particular, um, you know, there were so few of us in leadership roles that I, I often feel that I constantly have to prove yeah. my worth and my value and, and what I'm delivering. Um, and, and some of that's probably in my own head. Some of that's probably mm -hmm. made up by me. Um, but I, there is a cohort of um, traditional males within the sector who um, who are less open um, to, to female leaders or to other types of diverse leaders yeah. as well. And you feel like you've been trusted with that place as CEO. Exactly. You've got you've to work really hard and prove that you've earned that, which is horrendous when you think about it, because if a man has a bad day, then he's just got a bad day, has a bad day. But if a woman has a bad day, then people think, oh, maybe she's, she's not hormonal yeah. or she wasn't ready or... And we trusted her. And now, <laughs> yeah, we don't trust her. So we'll put a man back in the yeah. spot, which is just madness. I think everybody should be able to make mistakes and you learn from those mistakes of and course. you grow as a person. You're never perfect. And I think, yeah, there definitely is that fear as a woman going into those high level roles where you maybe feel a bit of an imposter syndrome. And because you haven't had many role models to look up to as, as you mentioned that we're in that position and I want to go on to your first impactful moment which is the impact that people have had on you and when you were sending me this message about your impactful moments you said that you mentioned your first mentor and the person who you actually have to thank your role of CEO at CBAN so can you yes. explain to me why this was an impactful moment and why these two people mean so much to you yeah so so the first um the first one was a woman and she was the MD of the organisation um, back. This was back in Australia, um, and she um, she was just one of those people that that saw something in me, um, you know, saw that perhaps I wasn't confident enough mm -hmm. to realise my full potential, um, and in some respects gave me a little bit of tough love. She, um, you know, we had some interesting conversations <laughs> where. You know, she 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 did give me some really strong messages that came from a place of you know utter respect and and out of love mm. um, to say you know you can do more than this. Um, you know, when I was contemplating the move to Singapore um, and was you know really quite anxious about it, I'd never lived outside of Australia before, and you know it's it's not like when you live in Europe and you're used to travelling to to other countries and experiencing other cultures. In Australia, it's so far from everything else that we just don't tend to 
to have much of that international experience. Yeah. So, you know, it felt like a, such a huge move um, and she really pushed me and encouraged me to, you know, take that step and step outside of my comfort zone. And then the second person um, was a, a gentleman that I've known for a couple of years um, who's also a CEO of a, you know, quite a large telecoms company um, who when the, the CEO role with CBAN came up, we happened to be at an event together and he said, oh, come with me, I want to have a couple of words with you. So he pulled me aside and he said, um, I think you should consider applying for that role. And I was a bit, really? Me? <laughs> me? <laughs> and he said, absolutely. He said, I can't think of anybody else who knows this um, this journey that we've been mm. on to get to this to this point and I think you could really lead it into the future you should definitely apply that's so incredible so, had you never thought of applying yourself before no, he I said anything I honestly hadn't did you know the job existed I knew the job existed and I was at a bit of a, a crossroads because um oh, without going into huge amounts of you know internal detail but mm. it, it the job that I was doing probably had a, a limit to it. It was probably going to end at some point, just naturally because of you know the way these things go. But um, so I was at a bit of a crossroads anyway. Yeah, so it and, came at the perfect. Uh, it came at the perfect time. I'm interested to know why you didn't think that you were good enough and why you didn't apply for that role before somebody had to tell you that you were good enough. I, I guess I didn't. I didn't so much see that I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. I guess I just didn't have. Um, the confidence that a, such a white male dominated sector would place their trust in a female non-technical leader to lead a company that's really delivering a very, very technical solution uh, was was really what it came to. I, I, I thought, I had wrongly assumed that the board would want a, you know, very technical person. Yeah, um, and you mentioned when we were speaking before recording this that it is a very technical <laughs> company and you felt kind of out of place there that you don't really know what <laughs> they're talking about all the time. And Oh, I don't, no. How, how, has, how have you found navigating the company and being the CEO? Do you feel like you're having to pretend that you understand or have you learnt to say, do you know what, actually, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you break this down or just this? that's your job? I'll do my job and I'm not I, even going to involve myself. I, I frequently... <laughs> I frequently say I'm not a technologist. I'm not the right person to speak to if you want to have a deeply technical discussion. Um, and I, I frequently also remind people that I wasn't hired as the CEO to lead this technically. My my skill set is is around um, bringing people together, creating cultures that enable people to thrive, and being able to see that you know that longer term vision of, of where we want to get to, and connecting the dots between the technical and the and the commercial. Um, but what it's also meant is I need to be really thoughtful about the people that I bring in to the others that I bring in to work for for CBAN and you know clearly a strong chief technical officer is is you know key for me because it's it bridges the gap that I have and you know we should therefore really strongly complement um, each other which goes back to the whole really diverse and inclusive teams and being a great leader in my view is about acknowledging where your vulnerabilities are and where your gaps are and therefore bringing in people that help to help to to you know the sum of the parts is greater than the the whole yeah to make a whole because you're only one part of that whole exactly. and I think sometimes people put pressure on themselves to be the whole the whole exactly and 
especially being a CEO, I'm sure many people find it quite daunting that they've got to do everything and be perfect at everything. And we're not superhuman. Yeah. (laughs) You can be really good at one aspect, but you're so right. You need to have somebody else that that balances what you can't really do and what you're not so strong at. But just so that listeners understand a bit more about CBAN and the Mm. company, in the most non-technical way possible, (laughs) Louisa, could you give us a brief explanation of what the company is? Yeah. So CBAN stands for the Communications Business Automation Network, and we're an industry body. So um, we only support the telecom sector. We we don't, um, you know, go out into other other sectors. And within the telecom sector, um, companies trade with each other. So in order to to deliver, you know, a customer's um, network, internet network, um, across different cities, they frequently have to buy services from other carriers in order to deliver that. So that means that they need to reconcile those services and then agree on how they um, they exchange money for them, basically. And the process for, for years and years and years, basically since, you know, time began with telecoms companies trading services, was that that settlement process is manual, which means it's um, it's open to fraud, it's open to mistakes, it has human error that just, you know, happens because people are people and they can't be, you know, perfect at that. Um, plus it's slow because there's only so much that a human being can process. So what we're doing is uh, using blockchain technology to automate that settlement process. Um, and, you know, we can take that process down from taking, you know, weeks to, to literally minutes um, to, to settle and, and reconcile. Well, it sounds like you're very technical and you understand <laughs> your product. So well done, you passed that test. Uh, but you actually started being the CEO uh, for CBAN only four months ago. So that yeah. was at the start of the pandemic, start of lockdown. Literally this very beginning. I don't know how you've done this, <laughs> but how have you found running a company virtually? And what advice would you give to others doing the same? What I would say, how I found it, it's obviously possible. You, you know, we can do all sorts of things that we previously thought were impossible um, in a virtual world. So in some respects, it's, uh, I wouldn't say easier, but in some respects, it's been better because people are not traveling. So, you know, getting connected to the right people to convince them to come in and join um, CBAN has been a little bit easier because people are not traveling. They're not sitting on planes or you know, at industry events or or whatever. But at the same time, they're not at the industry events where you can have that face-to-face conversation Mm -hmm. and sometimes business gets done a lot quicker um, face-to-face. So business is done over a drink, over a cocktail. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, obviously no cocktail events, no dinners. So, you know, there's there's pros and and cons. For me personally, it's not the the thing that you would do permanently forever Mm -hmm. um, in order to... Um, to, to run a business for this type of business obviously there are other online businesses that can be run you know from, from anywhere yeah. um, but this type of business does need some some face-to-face what it has meant though is we need to be really clear and sharp in terms of our digital marketing and how we're engaging with people and telling the story when I don't get this opportunity like this to to explain in a few words mm-hmm. it's what people are reading and how they're interpreting it Um, that becomes really critical. So we've spent, um, and we've been working with Wiser, we've we've spent the last four months really articulating and being very clear on what the brand of CBAN is and what it does and how we tell that story Mm. um, because you get one shot at... um, at, you know, launching that and, and telling the story. So I think it's a great thing for the industry to to learn about 
to learn more about marketing and how to be smarter, how to be punchier and, and reach that audience that might not have otherwise been reached. And I think people must be learning so much from this pandemic that they might never have learnt before and businesses might never have changed. I think there's a lot more innovation going on at the moment because people are having to be smarter. Do you feel like the industry has changed because of COVID and and having to, to adapt the way that you would normally run the business? So in respect to, to my industry, which is the, the one that I can obviously speak the, yeah. the most to, I think two things have happened. I think that we have changed our thinking around how quickly automation needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's been a realisation that, um, you know, whilst we've all seen fantastic productivity from people working at home, that's not necessarily permanently sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um so we therefore need to think a little bit more strategically about how quickly automation needs to to come onto the agenda, um, which is great for my business and it's mean it opens up, up an avenue for conversation. Um, the other thing that I think it's changed, which is positive, is that the telecom sector di- traditionally hasn't been great at thinking about flexible working mm. and how people can still get work done when they're not in a traditional office environment. Um, and lots and lots of organisations are now you know, having conversations that a year ago we would not have contemplated you know how do we engage people when they're working remotely how do we um you know accommodate somebody's flexible working needs how do we um you know encourage them to spend more time with work-life balance i mean that's just yeah really heartening i guess to hear and i think it's incredible especially being a woman because i know that is a fear that a lot of women fear is when i want to start a family i'm gonna have to stop my career because i can't go into the office every single day and so in a way yes obviously it's not been the nicest time and and so many things have happened in the world that we wish didn't happen but at the same time it has taught us that we can be more flexible and allow people to work from home and that you can still get just as much work done I think it's trust as well isn't it because people probably didn't trust us to actually work (laughs) if we're at home they probably thought we'd just be watching the whole of Netflix but now they realize you can actually get business done yeah and you know give credit to the telecom sector because it's only because of that sector that we have been able to be productive yeah um, you know, we the world economy would have failed um, without telecoms companies giving us, you know, internet at home that enables us to do Zoom calls 100%. and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Imagine so. this, 50 years ago. Oh, 10 years How ago. How would we 10 have years done ago. it? <laughs> so before COVID hit and everyone started working from home and we all started gaining that bit of lockdown weight and spending too much time <laughs> with our partners, you had the privilege of traveling around the globe and living in lots of different countries. We mentioned Singapore. And that brings us onto your second impactful moment, the impact that location has had on you. Mm. Why has this been so important? So I mentioned before that, you know, coming from Australia, we don't get the opportunity to travel internationally um, as much. So moving to Singapore was a was a real eye opener. Um, you know, I was I was moving to Asia. Um, you know, I had at the time I had a sister who still does. She was living in, in England um, who said, oh, I would I would never travel to Asia. I'll come there now to see you. But it's not on my list of, of of areas to visit so Asia was just considered this slightly scary um, place that you know other than Bali which every Australian goes to it's like a (laughs) rite of passage but you know other than than that living and working in an Asian country um, but 
what it did teach me was just the value of diversity. You know, there was, there was, Singapore is just one of those magical places where because they had a, you know, really forward thinking prime minister as the first prime minister when they, when Malaysia basically said, we don't want you anymore, Singapore, go away and run yourself, um, who realized that Singapore would never be uh, prosperous without foreign talent. They just, they didn't have the, the people needed to become a first world country. So he really made, really inclusive practices and policies that allowed foreign talent to come in and, and thrive um, and be really successful. Um, and, you know, they balanced that really, really well against local needs versus foreign um, talent needs. So as a consequence, the people are really open. You know, they don't care that I'm from Australia. They don't care that this person's from France. They don't care that this person's from, you know, China or yeah. Um, you know, Dubai. They're or... probably from somewhere else as well. Because they're probably <laughs> yeah. from somewhere else as well. So it's just this really inclusive culture that, you know, opened my eyes to other ways of... Would you recommend other people working in different countries if they get the chance? Do you think it's helped you get to where you are today and, and shape you as a person? With Without a shadow of a doubt, if if you get the opportunity to live and work, not just visit, but to live and work yeah. in another country... I would say absolutely take it up. Go for it. And I want to speak a bit more about diversity because you, as you mentioned, led cults inclusion and diversity strategy. So I'm interested to know, was this a strategy that was thought up by yourself or did you just want to head it up because you felt really passionately about it? A little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So cult had been on a, on a journey um, where we... It's kind of at the time that I was joining, so about four years ago, um, where we realised that we had a bit of a diversity problem. Um, and of our total employee population, 25% were women. Wow. That was it, 25%. Wow. So uh, we started our first employee network um, and it's it's kind of just grown from there. And it was a little bit of, I'm passionate about it. I used to get involved in a whole bunch of activities across the organisation. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, was was beating that drum about this needs dedication, it needs resources committed to it in order to make it successful. Um, and the organisation said, well, fine, put your money where your mouth is. Um, yes, we'll commit some resources and, and budget, but now come up with a strategy and a plan. So... Um, yeah. You did it. <laughs> I did it, exactly. <laughs> Obviously now you've left Colt. Is it still in place? Has somebody else taken over and, and taken your baby? And well, as a, as a little bit of a secret, I actually do still work for, for Colt <gasps> as well. You're so, too so I'm, Yes. <laughs> does Sivan uh, know? Sivan <laughs> does know. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, so I have like this left and right brain thing going on when I, you know, think about Sivan versus think about think about Colt. Gosh, um, when do you sleep? <laughs> So, um, so uh, yes, but the, the reason that I've stayed on is, it, um, and again, there's lots of internal politics, but um, it's kind of a bit of a shared resource because the IND strategy was so new for Colt mm. um, that it, it felt like it was really important to have some continuation for a period of time. Um, so obviously that won't last forever. Yeah, um, you'll become too but, busy. But, I, but, you know, <laughs> working from home has actually been a benefit. I have more time True. to commit to, to both things. And have you helped improve that diversity? You mentioned that it was 25% women uh, yes. when you started it. What are the figures now? So we now are at 30% oh, wow. uh, female talent, um, which we only really started the really dedicated focus on that uh, about 12 months ago. 
Um, and we were hovering around about 26%. So where, you know, in terms, if you had a target against it, increasing that over 5,000 people is actually quite a significant um, number of women that we've brought in. I think our challenge continues to be how we nurture those women through the organisation mm-hmm. and, you know, help to really identify female talent as, you know, any other type of talent um, and therefore how do we help them one thing to bring them in but if they all drop out after you know 18 months two years then we failed as well yeah why do you think that not enough women worked for an organization like cult do you think it was they weren't applying because they didn't think that they were qualified like you didn't think you necessarily were qualified as ceo or do you think that they were getting rejected what what was the problem We've done we've done some analysis on that, and there's there's a few things. I think the the sector as a whole has a little bit of a problem because it's seen as too technical. Right. So so women when they're thinking about career choices, and you know they're they want to be in finance, for example, um, they wouldn't necessarily think about the telecom sector as where they could have a thriving financial career. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And, you know, we're doing some work across the industry to to start to change that perception as well, to talk about it's not just engineering roles that we value. There's lots of other, there's legal roles, there's sales roles, there's finance roles, there's all sorts of other career paths that you can take. But we've also done some analysis at Colt in terms of our own inclusive recruitment practices and have uncovered some things around... um, a lot of it's unconscious, mm-hmm. um, the unconscious bias that creeps in about, well, you know, I'm not quite sure that I trust um, that your experience is the same as what I see in this, you know, colleague who's worked, you know, sort of the same sort of career tra- trajectory as, as me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done a lot of work to unravel some of those. We're looking at things like blind CVs, um, making sure that we've got diverse panels, particularly for um, some of our sort of mid to senior level roles that you have diverse panels as the decision making process that it's not a single person making the decision um, so yeah there's there's lots of things that we can that's that we can incredible do. you must be so proud mm-hmm. speaking about diversity obviously you've got diversity between male and female but also we've got racial diversity mm-hmm. and and at the moment we are in the black lives matter movement Um, And I wanted to discuss diversity in the workplace with you. And you mentioned to me that there is a systemic discrimination in the workplace and we have to find some way to uncover that it is a problem. Mm. Can you elaborate on what you meant by saying this? So I think, again, it comes back, some of it is conscious and some of it is unconscious in, in, in my opinion. And I think when we were chatting, the example that I gave you was I've had... Um, you know, a number of people say to me and, and, you know, including close family members, very well-meaning family members who say that they often use me as the example of what somebody can achieve because I've worked really hard and, you know, I've gotten where I've gotten because of that. So anybody who works really hard can get there. To which I say, well, I'm not, I have worked hard. I'm not, I'm not saying that I haven't. So there is that element without a shadow of a doubt. You have to, you know, get to where you you are because you work hard but at the same time if I was born Indigenous Australian which means I would have been I would be black I would not have had the same opportunities I wouldn't have had the same level of education it's unlikely that I would have been accepted into the university um, that I got into I've um, you know living in Singapore it would have been so much harder for me to get a visa um, to to live there um, because of you know I would have had probably poorer um, health 
because the the quality of food I have lower socioeconomic status therefore the food that I consume is of lower quality therefore I tend to have more health problems so people just fail to understand that all of these things mean that people just don't get the same opportunities Um, and it's it's through no fault of the person it's it's just the way the system is is built. Sorry, just one other really quick thing. I read yesterday, I was on the United Nations website, and in November there is World Toilet Day. Four billion people still do not have access to safe sanitary conditions. Now, how can you pull yourself out of poverty wow. when you can't even have a clean, safe toilet to use? That so, is shocking. I didn't <laughs> realise that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because you don't realise that the problems really stem from the beginning, don't exactly. they? And and companies will, will look at people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and they'll say, of course, we'd hire the right person for the job, not based on the colour of their skin. But they can't even necessarily get into the room because exactly. it starts from the beginning and they don't get the same opportunities that you've got. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think with the whole Black Lives Matter movement, it is becoming much more apparent that there is a problem and people are starting to educate themselves and I think it's great that we're able to have a discussion like this because I think before people would feel a little bit too uncomfortable to have Mm. this discussion because they don't want to admit that it's a problem we've been quite naive at just shutting the door on it and and thinking that it's not there if we don't speak about it or someone else will fix it exactly yeah I think the the other thing that we need to be really clear on um, is that we can't expect black people to fix the problem of race with racism the same as we can't expect women to fix the gender problem because they didn't create the problem women didn't create gender bias black people didn't create racism it's up to 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 white people the people that actually hold the power at the moment to to root out these problems and and fix them and it not just being a trend and it not just being a trend being I a agree. hashtag on social <laughs> media and okay we've done a couple of weeks of hashtagging it and sharing those posts and stories we're done, we're done. yeah and I've seen so many posts from black people going okay you've done this for four weeks but we've put up with this for our yeah, whole exactly. lives yeah, it's, it's a really interesting topic that I could speak about for hours. <laughs> I'm sure we could have a whole other podcast on it. But I want to go to your third and final impactful moment, which is the impact of stretch experiences. And you also said in this message that you completed your first Ironman, which firstly, <laughs> I just want to start with that. What do you mean by your first Ironman? Have you done a second? I have done a second. Why? Yes. <laughs> which is also the question that everybody asks. And wow. why not is what I would say. True. But how? Because I'm training for a marathon at the moment and I'm struggling to run more than 10 kilometers. Don't you have to run, swim and cycle? Yes. Yes, How, you do. What, what, okay, let's <laughs> in one day. <laughs> why, why did you want to take part in an Ironman? What was the reason for you for signing up? Well, it's a, it kind of started before that. So okay. when, I, when I moved to Singapore, I was really keen to make sure that I established a circle of friends that wasn't just at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have children, so I didn't have, I didn't have sort of the school parents' um, community as, a, as a, um, something to tap into. Um, and I'd I'd been running and I could ride a bike and I you know I, I cycled sometimes, and then it, it kind of occurred to me that you know what I'd only need to swim and I could, you know maybe do a triathlon, um, but the biggest problem was I couldn't actually swim. I'd never learnt to swim as a oh, child. No. <laughs> 
I love how you were thinking of doing a triathlon before you could actually swim. <laughs> exactly. Love it. So so then I thought, well, you know, I need to need to fix that. So I found myself a coach and um, got some one-to-one lessons and then eventually joined a, a swim masters club and, and swam with them. Um, I think it was either once or twice a week. I can't remember now. Um, and then, yeah, just actually found that I loved swimming. I really, really enjoyed it. I was quite good at it. And you're probably um, kicking yourself like, why should I never learn before? <laughs> but this is incredible that you learn as an adult because most oh, people really think, oh, I can't swim as a child. I'll never be able to learn as an adult. And they just never try. It, it's it's really hard. So mm. you can learn. You absolutely can learn. I'm I'm absolute living proof of. It. Seriously, I couldn't I couldn't put my face underwater. Really. Um, to begin with, or I could, but then I'd be like drowning, drowning. <laughs> um, so it's possible, but it's you. It's persistence. It's really hard thing to do as an adult because it's not natural to, mm. you know, put your head underwater and you know then remember to turn it to breathe and do all those things that kick and you know move your arms at the same time and yeah so you learned how to swim Mm. and then you decided okay now I'm gonna sign up for a triathlon before you did the Ironman or did you yeah so I did I did I started right at the beginning I did the little mini events and you know right up to um uh I I did a couple of half well I did a few half Ironmans I've done eight of those I think in in total eight um, now yeah wow that's Um, incredible and then uh, it was one of those things that once you get onto the Ironman mailing list, they, you know, blast you with all sorts of, of things. And I, would, I just happened to be sitting there one day and said, um, you know, now's the time to, to, if you want to sign up for Ironman Melbourne. So I clearly I had nothing better to do. And, <laughs> you know, I had a spare thousand dollars flying around that because yeah. it's expensive to register. And I just clicked through and then sent a text message to my friend going, Oh my god, you're not going to believe what I've just done. What have I what have I done? <laughs> That's exactly the thought I had when I signed up to the Brighton Marathon. <laughs> I did it a bit as a joke with my friend and then I said to my parents, "Oh my goodness, what have I done? Yeah. Like I'm actually going to have to run a full marathon when I've never run more than 5 minutes in my life." <laughs> It'll be you'll in, you'll love it. Thank you. Well, I'll speak to you after I've done <laughs> yeah. it and I'll let you know if I love it and if I've got hooked. But I think it is so important, as you said, to have hobbies and have something else that isn't work and Mm. you have something that's interesting about you because I think especially being a high-powered, successful lady like you are, you can become so engrossed and your work becomes your life. Mm. How important have these experiences been to you to just staying sane and being able to take a step back from the craziness of this industry? Yeah, so the the triathlon experience is, is... is still really important to me mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I, I talked earlier about, you know, perhaps not always having the confidence in myself or self-esteem or self-belief. And triathlon gave me that. You know, when you can prove to yourself that you can, um, you know, not not just the day itself, not just get through 12 or 14 hours or whatever it was of continuous forward momentum, mm-hmm. um, but that, you know, you can commit the six months of every single day there is something, whether it's an hour in the pool or whether it's a three-hour run or a five-hour bike ride, you can commit to that process and the resilience and, you know, confidence that I gained in myself, that the, all those other skills beyond just the physical ones um, were, you know, were really, really important to me and, and things that I will take with me. But the other thing to your point about stepping back, um, 
it is absolutely that that real mental break. Mm. Um, you know, I sometimes my best ideas come to me when I'm out running, and you know, I just get that freedom of of space where you know all I've got is the earphones plugged in, and sometimes I don't even remember what it, songs I've heard mm. um, out of my my run because. It just allows my creative brain to to kick in for a moment and, you know, think about, you know, ponder what's happening. Yeah, I think we speak about mental health so much recently, which is so great. And I think being active and doing exercise can do wonders for your mental health. And, And I think more people need to be inspired to exercise and, and encourage. Do you think companies can do more to promote physical activity and exercise? So so at Colt, we, we do just that. Oh, wow. Um, uh, it's another one of my projects. I said How like many I'm doing projects? Um, <laughs> but it's, again, my triathlon experience, this is so important to me because I agree with you, it's the mental health aspect mm. that, you know, can be life-changing um, for, for people. But I think it's also really important to link it back to a purpose. And at Colt, our purpose is being physically active in order to enable others um, and it because we link it to fundraising for charity. So um, pre-COVID, every year we held a, a four-day bike ride that would travel, you know, something like 500 kilometres between two European cities. And we'd raise, um, last year we raised 340,000 euro for children's charities across the globe. Um, obviously not possible this year. We've yeah. had to, to cancel that event. But we've turned it into an alternative. A charity challenge is what we're we're calling it where um, we're asking people to be physically active. We've got an app that we're we're bringing in so people can log their kilometres. We're, we're asking people to collectively travel 100,000 kilometres. And then through that process, fundraising mm. for some of our, our charity partners that you know, I'm finding it tough at the moment. That's so, so incredible. It's a good way to, to raise money for charities and also have a bit of fun. Exactly. And, and be active, get outside, especially and, in the nice weather at the moment. any activity, even shopping, can contribute to your kilometres travel. Sign me up. Can I do, <laughs> you, can I anyone, take part? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Incredible. We're opening it up. Love beyond that. Beyond just employees. So, yes. Oh, I've always thought shopping was a sport. I've always found it very tiring, <laughs> trying on all the dresses and jeans and trying exactly. to suck in. So, I'm I'm all here for that. And finally, I want to speak with you about a book that you mentioned previously to me. So it's a book called Squiggly Career by Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis. They discuss squiggly careers, which is basically where people jump constantly between roles, industries and locations. And especially as we mentioned previously with people being made redundant, maybe not knowing exactly where their career is going to take them now, if they should go down a different career path back in the day it was seen that you have to have quite a linear career but now you're seeing these squiggly careers do you think that is becoming the new norm and and do you think that this is a positive thing for the industry absolutely i i think it's um i think it is the new norm Mm -hmm. um we we are purposely designing that into our grad program at colt for example so um our, our grads only spend nine months in one team before they rotate into to something else and so they might move from you know being in the um, talent acquisition team through to being in the reward team um, or they might go from the the marketing team to the sales enablement team for for example Mm. so it's really trying to enrich their experience through showing them what's what's possible. Um, I look at my career, I started in customer service, I moved to HR, I'm now in what I would classify as general management, 
living in in three continents. So, um, and not all of those those movements have have been upwards. There's been a couple of sideways movements in there. You know, I think that the squiggly career is is a real thing. But what I would recommend that people do is before they take any job, um, perhaps other than your first one when you you need the the financial income. Yeah. Um, but think about what badge it's going to give you. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, what's the purpose of doing this job? Is it, If it enriches you in a particular thing that you feel you may be lacking, then that's a great thing, whether that's a sideways move or an upward move or even sometimes a backwards move. But I do think that people also need to spend some time working out, well, what is it that, what is it that's going to make you truly happy? Because, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, it's another day at X company, um, and you're not bouncing out of bed, then I would really question where's the joy in your life coming from? Yeah, you live your life working, so you should enjoy what you do in your life and yeah. you should have fun and it should be something that inspires you and you can absolutely really get your teeth into and make a bit of a difference. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your advice and I've absolutely loved chatting to you today. I've learned so much. I really oh, hope our listeners you, have as well. And as I said at the beginning, I think it's incredible and so refreshing to see that senior people in this industry take time to give their advice and I think more people should do that so thank you for being on the podcast thanks so much Izzy I've really enjoyed it so thank you for the opportunity thank you so much for listening please don't forget to rate review and subscribe and I'll see you next week